Island Tribe. Uh, my name is Sean, and I'm one of the elders here at the church. And I'm so disappointed not to be with you in person today uh, as planned. I'm stuck at home uh, with this positive COVID test. Uh, but these are the days that we're living in, and, and we know that uh, even with these curveballs, that, that God is in control, and that he's able to use all things for our good and for his unstoppable purposes. And so we're still trusting that he's going to be just speaking to us together today as we gather around this word. Uh, and as we kick off this this Haki uh, series, this justice series that we're launching this week, and and that was a great video introducing us to some of the concepts of of biblical justice that we see in God's word. But we're going to be taking a much deeper dive uh, over the next four weeks. So I just want to encourage you uh, to really plug into all the different ways in which we'll be engaging with this topic. Uh, make sure you've got the church phone saved on your phone uh, so that you can receive the daily devotional that we will be doing. Uh, over the next three weeks, make sure uh, you get to Life Group, where we're going to be unpacking uh, this topic together and sharing our hearts uh, with one another. And if you want to do some deeper reading, I, I really want to encourage and commend uh, this book to you, uh, When Helping Hurts. Uh, it's a great book to take you deeper on this topic of biblical justice, and it's been helpful even for me uh, in preparing this sermon today. Um, and this week, uh, we, we are looking at God's word around this idea of my heart. That's the title of the sermon today. And really, we're looking at the why of justice. Why, why should this matter to us as Christ's followers? Why should we be concerned with biblical justice? And what should we do about it? Let's pray, though, before we get into God's word. Yeah, Father, we just want to come to you this morning, not in, not in our own wisdom uh, or in our own strength, but seeking your wisdom. Uh, seeking your strength. Uh, God, we want to ask that you would come and speak to us this morning, that you would uh, just share with us from your heart for justice, that as we open up your word, uh, as we gather in your presence, we want to ask, Lord, that you would change our hearts, that you would transform us as individuals uh, and as a church uh, to really get what your word says about justice and to be a church that actually goes out and lives it. So come and do a work amongst us, please, God. Holy Spirit, please lead us into truth. And we just come with open hearts and open ears this morning. And we ask you to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, great. We, we, we've got a political season upon us here in Kenya. Um, and at the moment, we've got all the different parties uh, proclaiming their manifestos uh, for the upcoming elections. We've got UDA saying... Uh, we're going to help the hustler make it. Uh, kazi ni kazi. Uh, we've got Azima Laomoja saying, we're going to pull the country together. And both parties uh, underneath that have got their agenda. They've got their manifesto outlining uh, what it is they're going to be doing if they get elected uh, to improve the lives uh, of Kenyans. Well, today we're going to be looking at uh, the manifesto of Jesus. What did he say about his ministry uh, as he started it on earth? And how should we respond to it? And to do that, we're going to take a look at Luke at chapter 4. And this is right at the start of Jesus' ministry. It's after he's been baptized and then gone out into the wilderness for 40 days of fasting, uh, where he was tempted by the devil. And now we see him returning back uh, to his hometown of Nazareth. So you can follow uh, in your Bibles, or the verses will be up on the screen. And we'll be reading from Luke at chapter 4. And I'm going to kick off from verse 14. So Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath he went into the synagogue. 
as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll, scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendants and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard you done in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not seen, sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of town, and they took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right away through the crowd and went on his way. Great, so just so you know where I'm going with this message, we're going to be unpacking this passage on this theme of, of my heart, motivation for, for biblical justice uh, under three headings. Uh, his heart, my poverty, and his kingdom. And so the first thing that we see in this passage is, is Jesus speaking about his heart, the heart of God. And this, this, this passage at the beginning of Jesus' min, uh, ministry where he's giving this manifesto, he's announcing who he is and what he's on earth to do. And with our own politicians, it can be difficult when they come with their manifestos to know, is this really genuine? Or are they just saying nice words, the right things in, in order to, to get the votes? And, and often they are speaking about matters of social justice, about what is needed in society to make it more equitable. They're promising that their leadership will help the vulnerable, the poor, to get what they deserve. That they'll make things in Kenya just as they ought to be. But it's different with Jesus because uh, with his manifesto, he wasn't just trying to get, get votes. He didn't need to get votes. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. I've been anointed. I've, I've been elected already. Uh, I'm here as king. And his manifesto wasn't just a political party's theory of, of change. It wasn't even a country's constitution of, of the way things should be in the country. No, what he was describing was the heart of God and how he was going to restore everything to be the way that God said it should be. And so he chose a passage from Isaiah 61. That was one of these servant of the Lord passages and these prophecies that pointed ahead to the coming Messiah who was going to come and make things right in the world. He was going to deliver God's people and he was going to establish a just society. And so he says, I've been anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for captives, to give back sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which was 
jubilee uh, talk, not 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 jubilee the political party that we have here in Kenya. No, this is this is a different jubilee. This is the jubilee described in the Old Testament, which was a special year in which uh, uh, debts would be cancelled, slaves would go free, and those who had lost their land to debt would get it back. And in that passage in Isaiah 61, Jesus uses to describe himself in a way that's very consistent with how God reveals himself throughout Scripture. You see, the God of the Bible has always revealed himself as a God who fights for the oppressed and the downtrodden. The God who is described by the psalmist in Psalm 146 like this. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. And then in Isaiah 30, 18, another example, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up and show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait on him. So we see from what Jesus is saying and throughout scripture that, that God's heart is full of compassion and concern for, for those who suffer under injustice, for those who are on the margins. And as his followers, our hearts should reflect his. As a church, uh, one of our values is compassion. And this is how we describe it. We say we're asking Jesus to break our hearts with the things that break his heart. God's heart is drawn towards the brokenness in our lives and in our city. We are a church that moves towards and not away from the deepest challenges of our community. In this family, we will spend ourselves on behalf of the hungry. So as a church, we, we've said that we want to have hearts that break for the things uh, that, that break God's heart. We want to respond with the same compassion that God has when he sees brokenness and suffering in the world. And can I just confess, church, that this is something that I need help with. This is something that I feel actually doesn't come naturally to me. Uh, I'm not naturally uh, extremely empathetic. I'm, I can often find myself being actually indifferent uh, to the plight of others. And I really need God's help uh, in softening my heart, in giving me his heart for the poor, for the needy. And that's exactly what God asks us to do. He asks us to allow him to download to us his heart for justice. And I'm asking that God will help us all uh, to do that as we progress through the series together. You know, looking back at the Old Testament, at the laws that God's given uh, the people of Israel again and again, uh, he's asking them to reflect his heart for groups of people who who are vulnerable to oppression and injustice. And, and actually in the Old Testament, it mentions four specific groups, uh, the widows, uh, the orphans, uh, the foreigners, uh, and the poor. And he's asking his people through these laws to take on his heart for the marginalized. And, and he's not just saying, hey, don't be perpetrators of injustice. He's also asking them to take action by standing in their corner, by, by being their allies, by advocating for matters of justice and working towards their restoration. Proverbs 31 uh, says this beautifully. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy.
So we see it in the Old Testament through the laws God gives. And then Jesus arrives on earth and he gives us a living, breathing example of what it means to have God's heart for justice. He's, he shows us compassion for the crowds and, and he heals their sick. He feeds them. Uh, he, he looks at the crowds and says they're harassed like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost and he has compassion on them. He was always drawn to the broken, to those on the outside, to those on the margins. He said he came to, to rescue the sick, not the well. And, and he hung out with those who were broken and hurting, not with those who were rich and successful. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm so glad that we worship a king like this. A king whose heart is not to push others down, but to pull others up. A king who is not indifferent, but who really cares about the suffering and injustice we see in the world around us. And he's committed to making it right. And so as we, we start considering biblical justice, a great place to start is by just meditating on and adoring the heart of God, the compassionate heart of God, and asking him to transplant his heart into ours. We care about injustice because he cares about injustice. Okay, so that's, that's his heart. And, and next thing we see in this passage, uh, as Jesus gives his manifesto, is, is our own poverty. Um, you know, the custom in these synagogues apparently was for visiting teachers or rabbis uh, to, to stand up, be given the, the scripture, the, the, the Old Testament, the Torah, unroll it and, and read from it, and, and then to sit down and, and to basically expound upon it, to, to give a sermon. And so you, you may not be able to see on the camera today, but I, I just thought, well, if that's the biblical model, I'm, I'm going to sit down when I preach, and I'm going to ask all of you to stand up for the rest of the sermon. And, and from now on, I think we should do this in church. The preacher can sit, and everybody else can stand up. Isn't that a great idea? Well, I'm just joking. But, but something that you might actually want to see us implement here at One Tribe is the length of the sermon. Because once Jesus sits down, uh, his first explanation, his first um, exposition of the sermon of the passage is actually only one sentence. This is what he says. He rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Which basically means, you know, the servant of the Lord that Isaiah is talking about, that's me. I am the servant of the Lord. I am the Messiah. And my life will be my sermon. And actually what's really striking about this passage is that in the next verse, uh, the crowd doesn't respond by saying, wow, who do you think you are? How can you say that about yourself? That's blasphemy. But it says that all spoke well of him. And we're amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. What's, go what's going on here? Well, since we, we, we're using this metaphor of, of the manifestos of, of our politicians and this manifesto that we see Jesus giving, uh, maybe we can learn a bit from our own politics. Okay, so I, I think politicians in general, they, they know what to say to, to impress us. And people like manifestos um, that makes it sound like society will be made better. Nobody has a problem uh, with that. But my suspicion is, what it seems like to me, is that when it comes to voting, people will actually vote according to the benefits they think they will get. How, how will you make my life better once you are in, in office? How will you help me? I was chatting to a, a, 
attended at a fuel station a, a few days ago. And we were talking about elections with the various candidates and running mates and the pros and cons. I was asking what he thinks is going to happen. And at the end of this, this discussion, he kind of ended it just by saying, yeah, but I'm going to vote for, for Ruto because he's from my home area. And, and I understand that there's this issue of, of tribal, of tribal loyalty. Um, but I also think that there's this, there's this expectation that uh, if I vote for someone who's from my area, that person, when they get into, to power, uh, they're going to give my area some, some special attention, some special treatment. Can you see how the Nazarites may have been acting in the same way here? They were impressed with this manifesto to improve society, but I think they were most interested in getting some sort of special treatment as his hometown. We can see that they, they seem to want some of those miracles that had been done elsewhere in their hometown. And in fact, Jesus was claiming in a sermon to be the servant of the Lord, the Messiah, and, and that would, would have been obvious to them. These were religious Jews who, who knew the scripture. They were well aware of what the prophecy said about the servant of the Lord who, who would come, the king of the Jews who would deliver them. And they were, they were hearing Jesus' word uh, through that lens, through this framework uh, of, of what they expected that to look like. See, they expected that the Messiah would come and deliver the Israelites from Roman oppression and would elevate them back to their special place as God's nation. So although maybe they were a bit surprised that this was all Joseph's boy, um, this actually sounded like quite a good deal for them. They would be the hometown constituents of the servant of the Lord. They would be at the front of the queue as the beneficiaries of his arrival and of his social reform. Jesus knew in that moment that they had not understood his message or his mission. And so he expounds further uh, on this passage. And this is where things get ugly. He says to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do in your hometown what you have done in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years. And there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. Jesus was saying, I am the servant of the Lord. I am the Messiah. And I have not come for people like you. People who think that because of their religiosity or, or, or their tribe or their good works, that you've somehow worked God into a corner where he owes you something. That he is indebted to you. He's saying that I haven't come for people like you. I have only come for those who are spiritually poor. People who have nothing to offer God and they know it. People like the widow of Zarephath, who was a religious outsider as a non-Jew and a woman. People like Naaman, who was materially rich, but who was an enemy of the Jews, murderer, as a spiritual pauper. You see, the good news that Jesus was coming to preach was only for the spiritually poor. Those who knew that they were bankrupt spiritually, blind to the reality of who God is, 
oppressed, imprisoned by their sin and their shame, and in need, in desperate need of a jubilee, a release from slavery, a release from the slavery of, of sin and, and the consequence of death that it brought. What was the response of the people? It says all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They were furious because Jesus was not following their script. They were centered around their own kind of spiritual credit that they had wrapped up. They had been meeting in the synagogue. They had been studying scriptures. They had been following the law. But here Jesus was implying that the Messiah would instead go after spiritual beggars. They responded kind of like the older brother in the parable of um, the prodigal son, who was furious that his father had welcomed home his good-for-nothing brother and thrown him a party instead of honoring him. What about you? What about me? Have you come to the place of being empty-handed, being able to admit your own bankruptcy, of, of admitting that all we, we bring to our salvation is the stench of our own sin, our, our brokenness, where we can just declare a desperate need for God's bailout. Only then can we receive the good news that Jesus came to preach to the poor. When Paul is um, teaching the church in Corinth uh, about generosity, he explains the gospel like this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, that for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's the gospel. But what does it have to do with having a heart for justice? Well, you see, we will not have the right biblical motivation for justice if we first do not understand the gospel and our own poverty. What Jesus is teaching here and what the Bible teaches throughout Scripture is that, is that matters of poverty and justice are not ultimately around material possessions or, or human rights. Or those, those are symptoms of the problem. But the Bible teaches that ultimately our greatest poverty is a spiritual poverty that comes from a broken relationship with God because of our sin. And it's only through the good news of the gospel that that relationship can be fixed and our hearts can be changed. And then from that right relationship with God and living in his ways, it cascades down into right relationship with, with ourselves, our own identities, a right relationship with others, and a right view of creation and relationship with creation. When we understand the gospel at a heart level, we can do justice on the foundation of understanding that it's not just the slum dwellers of Nairobi who are poor, but that we are all poor, maybe just in different ways. We all, we all suffer from a poverty of, of self, of, of a right identity, as, of our worth as being made in the image of God, as being loved dearly by God. We, we all suffer from a poverty of, of community where we, we don't treat others as if they were made in the image of God, as if they were precious in the sight of God. Poverty in our relationship with creation that we were never meant to exploit, but to, but to steward and to care for. 
And we understand that we're all spiritual beggars in need of a savior, in need of a Messiah, who comes to restore our broken relationship with God, to give us freely of his riches, to open up our eyes to his truth, to set us free, to love God and to love others. Michael Eaton says it like this. This is his commentary on this passage. Jesus' ministry is, is a jubilee occasion. He will transform individuals and he will transform society. He will forgive sins. He will abolish everything that holds back human liberty and joy and progress. He will provide food, shelter, clothes. The year of jubilee. It's no wonder that people think this is marvelous preaching. People like messages about society being changed and liberty introduced, yet we do not always appreciate the way in which God works. Jesus changes society by changing people. People of Nazareth are about to attempt to murder Jesus. Society will not be changed unless people like them are changed. Jesus is preaching good news to them. He is offering them spiritual release. Their blindness is spiritual. Their need is not purely social. The miracle Jesus performed are simply signs of Jesus' power and authenticity. These people from Nazareth need release from prison as much as anyone. They are experiencing oppression, not just from the Romans, but from the power of sin in their own lives. And friends, if we want to do justice as a church, we need this gospel transformation and motivation. Only then can we approach matters of justice without some sort of savior complex or without some sort of expectation that it's our own smartness and hard work that, that's going to fix things. When, when we really get this, we'll, we'll start to look at people who are, are poor in a socioeconomic way and, and, and stop thinking things like, oh, I've just lived my life better than they have. I've just been smarter. I've just worked harder. Instead, we'll think, I'm just as poor as that person. Maybe it looks different, but we're both beggars in need of God's grace. And so the gospel will motivate us because of what God's done for us to take the message of the gospel into those broken places and to take the, the works of the gospel into those broken places. Maybe, maybe just to share from, from my own life, um, I, I feel like I still really need to understand at a heart level this gospel foundation uh, for, for doing justice. I, I need to understand that better. Um, about two and a half years ago, uh, we had a foster daughter come into our home, and, and we're so blessed to have her uh, in our family. But it's felt like at times like God's been doing some heart surgery uh, on, on my heart, on Tez's heart, uh, as a couple. You know, I think... What we've seen is that perhaps there was some sort of uh, false expectation or way of thinking that uh, we would be able to help kind of save her uh, from her loss and, and her brokenness, that we would somehow be able to, to fix her. And actually, our experience has been that the more we've understood about her brokenness, the more we've understood about our brokenness, the more aware we've become of our own need uh, and her need, for Jesus. And the more we understand that we both just need the good news of the gospel. So yeah, we, we fight for her and we love her as best as we can. But most of all, I think we're learning we just need to point her to Jesus. We need to pray that he would come 
and heal her and help her in the deepest parts of her, the parts that we can never fix. See, Jesus came to preach good news. It is good news for those of us who will receive it with, with empty hands. And it's a power to take that good news into the most broken parts of the world around us. The last thing we see in this, this passage and the last motivation that I want to share with us about having a heart for justice is his kingdom. Um, we, we need to understand what Jesus was saying about why he came to earth. I mean, how would you answer that question? Why did Jesus come to earth? I think a lot of us as, as churchgoers would say something like, well, Jesus came to earth to, to die on the cross uh, to save us from our sins so that we could go to heaven. And that's true, but it's only part of the answer. And it's quite different, actually, to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 4. What Jesus says about the reason why he came to earth is something way more comprehensive. He's declaring that his arrival on earth is the arrival of the kingdom of God, a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of liberty, where all things are going to be made right. And unlike many politicians of today who, who after they get elected, they seem to get distracted by, I think, the next elections and, and often don't, aren't able to follow through on what they promise. And Jesus actually went on to fulfill his manifesto, to do exactly what he said he was going to do. John the Baptist, uh, this was the guy who had baptized Jesus, introduced him as the Lamb of God, uh, before Jesus went out into the desert to be tempted and then came back into Galilee to start his ministry. And John the Baptist, a couple of chapters on in Luke 7, finds himself in prison. And maybe he's starting to doubt uh, what's going on here. He seems a bit confused. And maybe his, his kind of idea of what it was going to be like to be the running mate of Jesus and his new government, things aren't quite panning out the way he had expected. So John sends some of his followers to Jesus to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Listen to how Jesus answers him in Luke chapter 7. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus was saying, go back and tell John that the kingdom is here. It's happening. It's actually happening. I'm not just preaching good news. I'm living the good news. If we're Jesus' followers, we need to do the same. We must not just welcome the king into our lives, but we must also welcome and usher in his kingdom. The kingdom that broke out on earth when Jesus arrived, and the kingdom that is now advancing through his church, the kingdom that will finally be fully established, as we see in Revelation, when Jesus returns, and he wipes every tear from every eye. When death is no more, suffering is no more, injustice is no more, and Jesus declares, I am making everything new. See, some people want the kingdom, but they don't want the king. Many advocates for social justice in our world are like that. They want to see society improve. They, they want human rights, but they are not willing to receive 
and acknowledge Jesus as the king. Maybe the Nazarites in our passage were a little bit like that. They wanted a more just society, but they were not ready to acknowledge their need for Jesus as a personal savior. Other people want the king, but are not so interested in the kingdom. Maybe sometimes religious churchgoers, even here in Nairobi, can be like that. You know, to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus with their lips, but it's really just about getting a ticket to heaven. And and they're not really interested in the ways of his kingdom. And that can reduce religion to piety and, and purity and not doing a whole bunch of bad stuff, but ignoring the commands of God to live out good news including living out good news to the poor, especially to the poor, the oppressed, and the needy. And actually what the Bible says is that it's full of commandments of how we should live in the kingdom, not just to accept the king. James 1 verse 27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. How would you finish that sentence? You may not be a big Bible reader, uh, and so you may not know. Or, or you may know, but honestly, if you're reading for, this, for the first time, how would you finish it? If we are honest, with our own views and experiences of Christianity, I'm not sure many of us would finish it in the way that James does. He says, religion that God, our God, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Speaking of finishing sentences, what is interesting is that Jesus actually stops mid-sentence when he's quoting Isaiah 61. So he he quotes from Isaiah 61 and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me uh, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you know what it says after that in Isaiah 61? It says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And I think what Jesus was saying here is, I'm here to declare the Jubilee. I'm here to declare the year of the Lord's favor. I'm not here to bring my judgment yet, not not in this coming. I'm not here to claim my rights as God, but to lay them down. I'm not not here to be served as God should be served, but to serve. I'm not here to execute judgment. I'm here to receive judgment on behalf of others on the cross. Tim Keller talks about how we can only receive the gospel if we are spiritually poor, but also how we can only be channels of the gospel if we are willing to follow Jesus' example of being actually poor. See, he he laid down his his position as, as God's son in heaven to become Joseph's son, a poor carpenter. And what he's saying is, is, you know, look at Jesus, how he emptied himself of his right as God, of his riches in heaven, how, how he laid down his life, his rights for the sake of others. 
And that is also how we should live if we want to follow in his footsteps. Not that we can't provide for our families or, or continue to enjoy God's provision and, and blessing in our lives. But it should be radical enough that as we follow Jesus' example, if people in our city, uh, in our socioeconomic circles, knew how much we gave away to the poor, if they knew how much we spent on behalf of the poor, poured ourselves out on behalf of those who are marginalized, that they would think we're crazy at the way in which we impoverish ourselves for the sake of the poor and the oppressed. And the early church did that in Acts 4. And then we learned that uh, as we went through those chapters in our journey through Acts a couple of months ago. We, we learned how in the early church, it says that there was not a needy person amongst them. Because the early believers, they would sell land and houses and, and possessions, and they wouldn't consider it their own. They would come and lay it at the apostles' feet, and it would be distributed to anyone who had need. See, they followed Jesus as an example, not just to preach the kingdom, but to live the kingdom. And I know this is super challenging, friends, but it's, it's also super exciting. I mean, what if we said yes to this? What if we, we really understood God's heart for justice? What if we asked him, by his spirit, to, to anoint us, to transplant his heart into us, to, to allow him to break our hearts for the things that break us? What if we really understood the gospel? What if we really understood our own poverty and the scandalous riches of God's grace that he's given to us for free? Wouldn't that make us want to go out there and show the gospel to others as well? And what if we actually went out and we lived in the way of the kingdom for the sake of the others? Good news would be preached to the poor. There would be freedom for prisoners. There would be release for the oppressed. Imagine what God could do through a church like ours. Let's pray together. Dear God, we just thank you so much for the power of your word. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for your example as you lived on this earth, as you spoke about the heart of God, as you announced the, the coming kingdom, as you preached the good news to the poor that we so desperately need to hear. God, thank you that you ushered in a new way of living, a way that uh, reflects the heart of God to restore all things to the way things should be, a world in which you reign as king over a kingdom that is just and fair, a kingdom where, where every wrong has been made right. God, we just want to come to you humbly this morning and just want to say we, we have so much to, to learn and to grow in this area. We want to ask Come and give us your heart. Lord, let the gospel sink down into the deep places of our heart. And God, I pray that you would help us to respond with, with faith and joy to the good news that you've given us, to go out there and live differently, to love differently in a way that ushers in your kingdom and points this broken world to the only king who will fix it, King Jesus. We ask that you continue to speak to us over the coming weeks. We place our hearts in your hand. We ask that you help them to be moldable and soft to your voice. In Jesus' name, amen.